0: I was going to write my name and the label in the back of the hour so I can pick up a lost property in October. Right. Ephesians chapter 3. What's the name of our series? The Bigger Picture. People who don't know, we're going through the book of Ephesians over, I think it's 14 Sundays in total. Can you hear me clearly enough? Is that okay? You sure? Not much nodding. Uh, We're going through the book of Ephesians just to help us understand the bigger picture. We can get so locked into our our little lives, the things we struggle with, the things we're trying to relate to, the things we're trying to understand, the things we face, and it can become a bit insular and a bit introverted. And so often we just need to take that step back. And what is God's bigger picture? What's it all about? Today we're going to be looking at family. (coughs) Family is not just an image of what God's people, God's church looks like. It is literally who God's people are more than just a metaphor. We are God's family and the word family has been making an appearance quite a lot in our lingo here at Beacon recently. We really feel prophetically God's speaking to us about focusing on that word and what it means in terms of not just family as in young people, family as in every generation. and When families get affected, the ripple effect is so much more and that's something we're praying into and working through and bringing in changes and how how to serve our kids best on Sunday mornings and so on. The word family keeps appearing at the moment. And if you want to know one way of describing the big story of the Bible, one way of putting it is, it's God's quest for a big family. He's gathering himself, not just a people to serve him or to get on their knees before him, which he deserves, he's God. But he's gathering himself, children, that he's adopting into his family. And that's what his church is. And that's what we're going to be finding out more about today. So Ephesians chapter 3... I trust, from verse 14 to the end, this is kind of the second half of the final act of chapter 3 of Ephesians, trust this morning we'll just see how family really is at the core of God's heart. He loves what family means, what it represents, what it should be. He loves it so much. And that's what this is all about this morning. Let's read from verse 14. For this reason... Paul's referring to what he's already explained before. He's been explaining the amazing things we've been saved from, the amazing things we've been saved into, and the great mystery of how God can unite people through his Son, be they Jew or non-Jew, and so on. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, let that be our prayer this morning. Yes, we don't want to go away impressed by man or clever words or great songs. We want to go away impressed by you. That's right. So Lord, may that, may that occur this morning. May your spirit dwell in our hearts and and nudge us and poke us and convict us where we need to be challenged. We don't want to walk away from hearing no different to when we first entered. Lord, speak to us. This is your word and we trust it will speak to us this morning. So what's Paul doing here? This is a prayer. He's not, this is not just some time for a teach, time for a lecture. This is a prayer from Paul's heart. He loves these guys in the church in Ephesus and he's writing to them. He's in, he's in prison and he's just saying, Guys, I love you. And I want you to, what I'm saying is, I want you to grasp hold of the treasure you have in Christ. Just really get your teeth into it. Grasp hold of what it really means. And then run with it. That's what he's saying. This is a prayer from the heart. This guy, he sees them as his spiritual children. He's like their their spiritual father in in, in that (coughs) respect, in terms of he helps see that church come to birth, and he loves them so much, and he prays for them. He goes, guys, I just want you to get hold of what you've got in Christ and then live like it. This is a prayer from the heart. He's talking about family. Family, as I'm sure we, we're all aware, we can all observe, family is the basic social building block, isn't it? And where family crumbles, when marriages break down, siblings, there's rivalry, people stop talking to each other, parents perhaps fall in their responsibility for parenting. Different aspects of family, whenever that crumbles in whatever way that looks like, society is affected as a whole. Just generally, if, if, you, if you think of family as, as almost like community and family as the backbone of society, whenever that starts to crumble, things go a bit awry and a bit off track, don't they? <laughs> if children grow up in a too liberal environment or too, a too, too abusive or too controlling an environment, they grow up in such a way, there's nature versus, na- nature versus nurture, isn't there, that... If they grow up in these kind of environments, either they don't appreciate appropriate boundaries as adults because they've grown up in too liberal an environment or if they've grown up in too controlling an environment, as people become adults they can still live in fear of man. How you grow up in your environment, your background (laughs) can affect you as an adult. And rivalry and squabbling from family breakdowns can result in death, can result in anger, can result in regrettable action that people wish they hadn't done later. And child psychologists, and I think us non-experts as well, can see that the quality of relationships for children as they grow up, if they're good quality relationships, they promote emotional well-being, emotional maturity as adults. It affects us in a big way. That's why people lying on a couch are not tell me about your mother. There's kind of a reason for that. Tell me about your background. Tell me about your childhood. The stronger the family environment, the better for parents and for kids alike but not just for them and not just for their close circle of friends or their siblings. It affects society at large. When in general, family starts going a bit wafty, society does as well. The idea was well-adjusted adults raising well-adjusted kids who then raise well-adjusted kids. Family, for better or worse, is a legacy. Either way, isn't it? How you get affected, how you are raised, can affect how you parent in the future. Either natural parenting or spiritual parenting, how you relate to other people. So that's just on an earthly level. But God ordained family as the basic building block of society. And the Bible tells us that he is the ultimate father. So in which case, what should the ideal family look like? You tell me. What would the ideal family look like? Describe it. Come on, some ideas... Loving, yeah. Any other ideas? I've got a few. No more? Close family, Close family. understanding, yeah. Communicating, considerate. There's three, there's, sorry, discipline, yep, come on to that later as well. There's a number of things that kids need to mature well, just <coughs> in the world around us in general, physically and emotionally. But to mature well, there's three particular things that really need to be absolute priorities. And one is security, one is love, and one is hope as well, hope for the future. And child experts recognise that without these three things, kids are on a back foot straight away. Security, then kids need to know they're in a trusting environment. Not just they're trusting, but they can trust their parents. Or they can trust their guardians. They need to know they're safe. They need to know they're accepted. And even when discipline is needed, they still need to know they're loved. Kids don't like boundaries because they keep pushing at them. But actually they appreciate them because they know they're safe. They know it's for their protection. appropriate boundaries. They know they're for their protection. So they need security. Kids need love. They need to know they are loved overwhelmingly. Even when they're being disciplined, they need to know they are loved. And hope, encouragement for the future, gives inner strength doesn't it? For all of us. And if church is God's family, raising kids well, to raise kids well, that's discipleship. That's all discipleship is. And if that's God's family, and if we can see what the ideal should be, then surely I'd hope there's security, love and hope in God's family. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He talks about all three of those things in this passage, in that order, He's showing us that we have ultimate security in our Great Father, which we'll look at in a minute, verse 15. He shows us we've got ultimate love in Christ the Son. That great how wide and long and deep and high. Get this, guys. We've got ultimate love. David earlier mentioned about his tape measure. Put away your tape measure, you're not going to measure it. That's how big his love is for us. Ultimate love. And also we have ultimate hope for the future, which we'll look at at the end. If you've ever had, found it hard to feel loved, or if you've struggled for confidence for the future, or if you struggle for confidence for now, then I trust by the end of this morning, I trust God's spoken to you in some way that helps you deal with that and actually just spend time with Him and just recognise who He is and who you are to Him. God knows what we need, and He provides exactly that. We need to grasp hold of this truth, like Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. We need to grasp hold of this for our maturity. So let's look at them, each in order. Ultimate security, love and hope. (coughs) Security, first of all, verse, verse 15, but let's start from verse 14. Right at the beginning of the prayer, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That word family he's using there in the original text, it's very closely related to father and fatherhood. It's almost spelt almost exactly the same. Very, very close. Not just the same origin, but almost looks the same in passing. Some translations say his family. Other translations, like the ESV, NASB, I think, it's about half and half, good mixture. Others say every family on earth derives its name. You might have that depending on what translation you've got. Both are right. Neither are wrong. They're both right. He ordained fatherhood as a pattern. He ordained family as a pattern. And so in that respect... He is the great original and he is the father of mankind as creator and instigating society and family. He is the father of all in that respect. But he's only truly the father with a capital F of those who truly believe in him through his son. Do you see the difference? He's the father of all mankind as creator but only those that know him through his son Jesus can call him dad. It's a big difference, isn't it? So for those of us that do believe in him, through Jesus, through Jesus' work on the cross and what he's done for us, what he gave up for us, that we might be be made right before God the Father. Those of us that believe that, the Bible tells us we're adopted into his family. Romans 8 verse 15 talks about this, exactly this, adoption. And he says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. You're not just a a creature made in his image. You're now his son, his daughter. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a word that means papa or daddy. It's not just a flippant term, old dad, the old man. It's a reverent term that has ultimate intimacy within that. He is the great king we can and should... (coughs) kneel before and yet we can also sit in his lap. It's an amazing mystery. David was referring to it last week, was it last week? The mystery of this, this awe and, and intimacy. Awe and familiarity. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul again, it keeps, it's Paul who keeps writing all these. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Papa, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We're adopted into his family. An adopted child is given a new name, a new surname, the name of the father. And he's given an inheritance. What's mine is now yours. You're my kid. We get that in him. We are now heirs along with Jesus of the heavenly riches that are available to us, the great resources that are available to us in the ultimate father. So to be named in this context gives you identity. I'm his now. And there's no going back. We're adopted. with the ultimate father. Because he's the ultimate dad, he does discipline us. Because he's a good dad. And he knows what we need. And he guides us where we need guiding. And helps us grow where we need to grow. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you won't go through a life without hardship, but it's for our good. None of us like discipline, do we? But when we know He's a good dad, we know it's for our best. It's to help us grow, it's for our maturity. It's because He loves us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 onwards the writer to the Hebrews is actually referring to Proverbs 3, he's quoting from Proverbs 3 and he says, you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And then he quotes Proverbs 3, he says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And he goes on to say, endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. We can moan and rant at God sometimes. Why are you letting me go through this? Why don't you take me out of this situation? Why can't I have more money? Why can't you stop this? Why can't you do that? And when the answer's no, it's because he loves you. We always need to remember that. It's not because he's spiteful, because he's a good God and he knows what's best for us. See, the trouble is, when we think of the word discipline, we think of a rod or a cane or a smack, don't we? It's not, it's moulding as well. It's a gentle moulding as well. The word discipline covers all spectrums of that. We need to remember this. Sometimes it's just the gentle nudges day by day. (laughs) I don't like disciplining Amy, but I have to. If I'm going to be a good dad, I've got to discipline her. And the amount of times we go shopping, you're going to buy me something, Dad? Where are we going? Tesco's. Oh, can I have a toy? Can I have a magazine? Can I have some sweets? Can I have a DVD? The amount of times I have to say no, because if I say yes every time, she'd expect it the next time, and it's not good for her. We had a raging barney at Wildwood last Sunday afternoon. Oh, when we go in the shop, can I have something? It's like No, because you keep asking, you expect it every time, you're going to have to learn. That's not what it's about. We love giving you gifts. But if we just keep sharing you with stuff, we're not helping you grow up right in your expectations for life and our responsibility as parents. I mean, we've got the money. Of course. There was always that in there. But oh, she didn't like it. So then, then she... Jenny said, We'd only ever buy you something if there's something you really, really like. Not not every time, just for the sake of it. Amy latched onto that, didn't she? In the shop. I'm gonna look for something I, I really, really like. <laughs> and she found something that she really, really it's still more toss, it would just lie on her bedroom floor. She won't play with it again. And we had to say no, she had to walk away with nothing. But it was for her good. Next time I'd love to buy her something but not just because it's her expectation that daddy gives me things and daddy spends his money on me, etc, etc. She has to learn. There is a, an appropriateness. And she has to grow up well. And I want her to not grow up being materialistic or expecting everybody to give her everything hand on foot as an adult. She's got to learn. And sometimes it's the hard way. And sometimes good cop and bad cop. But sometimes it's got to be done. Because this is the thing. Our perception of our Heavenly Father is affected by our perception or our understanding of earthly fathers as well. So often in counselling, when you speak to people about their understanding of God, it's been modelled by their earthly dad or guardians. We need to know the truth and that's what Paul's saying here. You need to get in here, not what you think God's like or what you feel God's like, you need to know what God's like. You need to get deep into the word, which I'll look again in a minute. Last week, again, Amy said, after a whole day together, I think it was Saturday, I don't feel very loved. (laughs) I went through the list. Babe, do you realise what you've got? And the amount of time, even just that day, the amount of time we spent with her, we've been playing with her, we've been at night, a nice two-hour bike ride as a family, we had a right old giggle together. She asked what she wanted for lunch, we gave her that. We had a right good time. It wasn't just quality time and it wasn't just quantity time, it was both. And all during the week we've been having fun, we've been doing lots of things with her, lots of things for her, it's like, you don't feel loved, doesn't mean you're not. That's <laughs> the trouble us as humans, I don't feel very loved. You still are. <laughs> that hasn't changed. <coughs> if you find it hard to feel loved, get this, this is what Paul's saying. If you struggle with confidence for the future and for the now, get this, this is what Paul's saying. If you struggle to progress in your Christian faith, you keep thinking you're going one step forward, and two steps back. If you keep going round and round in circles, listen to this. This is what it's all about. How do we progress? How do we get this? Well, this is when Paul comes into the real crux of his prayer request. Verses 16 to 19. There's four verses. And this is when he talks about ultimate love. We just looked at the ultimate dad, the ultimate father, the ultimate security in there. Now we look at the ultimate love. And these verses, 16 to 19, each one of those has this prayer punch. Four punches in a row that just pummel deeper and deeper and deeper and the next punch just pummels through. Guys, get this. Mix martial arts, the four-punch combo. Can Kevin do that? What's, what's a four-punch combo? I've heard all about a four-punch combo. That's it, yeah, I saw it on YouTube this morning. Too high and too low, really, really quick. And that's what Paul's doing. He's doing a four-punch combo with this prayer. Okay, here we go. One punch. What's he going to do? First of all, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. Bam! Strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted, pow, second one, and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp, third punch, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, fourth punch, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Four big punches that each one gets deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> He's saying, guys, know this truth. You've got to get it in you, in your core. Get this. It will make the world a difference. And this is what we need to do. This is the problem with living on a, a diet of spiritual vitamin pills. A diet of supplements. We can we can I I like that speaker and I, I like watching that and I like listening to that and I like that song and I like that book and just picking and feeding, just stuff that tickles you. But we need to have a healthy diet of biblical doctrine from reliable, consistent, proven, wise, appropriate sources that just get these kind of truths just deeper and deeper and deeper. Yes, read widely. Yes, watch and learn but just be discerning, please. I think it's important because we can pick up on the wrong things. And we can run off and get worried about the wrong things when in fact there is core truth that we can be missing out on. And that's why we can fail to mature sometimes. If you're only content with, I've got a childlike faith, I don't need to know any more, that's actually dangerous. That's not biblical. When the Bible talks about being childlike, It's talking about a childlike trust, trusting your dad. It's about faith. It's not about, it's okay to be naive and oblivious. We need, all of us need to be theologians and we all need to get deep into what God tells us because it makes a difference to our emotional well-being, our spiritual maturity and how much he can use us now. It's important. If you want to know his, who wants to know his fullness? (laughs) Stick your hands up. Who wants to know his fullness? then we need to dig deep. Of course we do. But so often we don't. But we need to. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He's saying, guys, do you realise how big his love is? How wide, long, deep and high. How many miles is that? Put away your tape measure, because you ain't going to measure it. It's massive. He even goes on to say, to know this love, uh, verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's not saying you can't know it. He's saying it's so big you can't know it completely. That doesn't mean we stop trying to know it. Otherwise he wouldn't tell us to and there would be no point. What he's saying is know it, get in deep and the brilliant thing is you never get to the end of it. It's amazing. We get eternity to get to the bottom of it and we still won't. It's immeasurable. saying it's not unknowable but it's impossible to know completely and it's that wonderful. We need to get this deep in our core. You cannot comprehend the depths of love God has for you today and tomorrow and the next day and whatever date's coming up that you're worrying about. You cannot comprehend the depths of love God has for you for each and every day before you. Let's have a look at this. Wide, long, high and deep. His love is wide enough to embrace any wretched sinner whatever you've done whatever you're ashamed of whatever you wouldn't want anyone in this room to know that you've done his arms are wide enough to embrace that his love is wide enough to embrace that it's only possible in Christ no other God is capable of embracing that because they're just idols and fictions and myths and well wishing he's the only true living God and he is more than capable of embracing anything you've done because he paid that price on the cross guaranteed. Don't think otherwise. But it's also wide enough to love everyone equally. When we as humans don't have that capacity. I can't love other people as much as I love my Jenny and my Amy. I love them in a different way. I'm human. I only have a capacity for loving. I try and love people equally, but there is a difference in how I love my family compared to other people. Of course there is. I'm human. But his love is so wide. It doesn't mean it's diluted. His love is so wide, he embraces every sinner equally, no matter what you've done. Never think you're unlovable in his eyes. Whether you know him yet and you're thinking about it, whether you do know him, don't think you're unlovable. He went to the cross with you on his mind. His love is wide. His love is long enough to endure, enduringly woo us and transform us. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous passage used at weddings, it keeps cropping up, doesn't it, all about love. What's the first on the list that he describes love? Love is patient, first on the list. God's love is so patient to persevere and stay alongside us, even if we don't feel like it, he's still there, and he's still wooing us and still working on our behalf. Prayers are sometimes answered long, long, long after we've often given up but he perseveres. His love is long enough to persevere through the storms, through the dry seasons. We need to know this, because we don't feel he's with us during the dry seasons, and we feel he's moved away. Maybe it's you that's moved away. We need to know this. His love is long enough, patient enough, to pick us up when we fall, to dust us off, set us back on our feet again, time after time after time after time. Don't forget this. His love is wide, his love is long. His love is high enough to overcome all sins. His love is high enough to overcome all circumstances, all obstacles, whatever you're facing at the moment. His love is high enough to lift us up to heavenly standing as a co-heir with Christ, as a child of God, with all the treasures and resources in heaven provided by our great Father. His love is that high. Romans 8, verse 29 says, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How big's the universe? All things in creation? Higher than that. We need to know this. And his love is deep. How deep? Deep enough to die on a cross deep enough to, as he hung there on that tree, blood pouring from his body, agony. He cried his final breath, but I don't know how he did it. He'd been asphyxiating for hours. He shouldn't have had any breath left. His chest was being crushed. His love was that deep to hang there. And as he hung there, it wasn't just the physical pain he was going through. He was bearing the hatred of sin that we deserved Anything imperfect that falls short of God's perfect standard, God needs to deal with. He's a just God. He's a good God and he's a just God and he needs to deal with that. And he poured that upon his own son. His love is that deep. God was willing to do that to his son and Jesus was willing to receive it. For you. He loved us enough to stoop down amongst the likes of us and become a man. And dwell among us for 30 odd years and to lift us up through his work on the cross. No matter how deep your despair sometimes, no matter how deep your stress, no matter how deep your troubles, his love is deeper. Never forget this. His love goes deeper and he meets you there in those times and he lifts you up. Talk to him. We need to know this. There's that four punch combo. Paul says that you'll be strengthened. We need to pray this for ourselves, pray it over each other, that you'll be strengthened, that you'll be rooted and that you'll have the power to grasp so that you can know his fullness. We need to be deliberate about this. It doesn't happen by osmosis or by just hanging around spiritually mature people and hoping it'll rub off a little bit. We need to put it into practice. We need to live it out. That's the ultimate security and ultimate love and the last one before we end, ultimate hope. It's a big thing at the moment. There's a general trend for apathy in our country at the moment, I think. It has been for a few years. Low wages, pay freezes, pay cuts. So people are less inclined to do more for their boss. Well, what's the point? I only get paid peanuts. Get, get monkeys. <coughs> it's an easy temptation for all of us, really. What's the point? My boss doesn't really doesn't really care. He's only doing it for the pennies to pay off his credit card debt. So why should I bother? It's a general apathy that keeps feeding itself. The cost of living goes up and we see more laws come into play that favour other people rather than ourselves. And we can go, what's the point? New Zealand looks nice. Canada looks nice. The usual temptation, isn't it? We have a Father in heaven. We have a Father in heaven who put these governments in place who is bigger than the economy, who is more capable and more willing to go against natural laws, to work his miracles, to confound the wise and bring glory to himself through us his people and outside of us as well. He loves to confound the wise. We need to know this. We need to know his love for us and the hope we have in him. Paul says, to him who is able, and that gives us future confidence and it gives us confidence for the now as well. The ultimate hope for the future, we can just think about eternal security. When I die I'm going to heaven and I'll be safe. But it also talks about now. See, guaranteed hope in God is talking about the years between now and your end of this life. The days before you and the plans he's got for you, the purposes he's got for you. He's got great things, great adventure ahead of you. It's about now, not just about in the hereafter. See, this doesn't mean we won't suffer and we won't struggle. But it does mean that God is more than willing and more than able to work through that and in those circumstances. Even in adversity, is at work for the good of those who love him. And we need to know this. So that's why in verse 19, Paul says, now, oh sorry, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I'm sure over the years you've heard my Steveisms, like God's Got Your Back and things like that. I keep saying them, not just because they sound funky and they're glass half full, but because they're biblical truth. And one I've been saying a lot recently is dream big dreams. This is why. It's in here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So why should we limit our dreams? It's a great big God. We must not belittle the abilities of the creator of the universe who punched so hard through the wall of sin between us and him, it will never recover. So why should we belittle him and think, oh, well, I could pray about it, but there's X, there's Y, there's Z. You get put off. We should be able to dream big dreams. I'm not just saying, it's not just positive thinking. If you think positively, it will all be alright. What I'm saying is rely on your ultimate father who's got your best intentions at heart and he's more than able, able Immeasurably more than all you can imagine, so dream big dreams. Why not? The NASA space program, American space program, I was watching a video on it recently. That was fueled, they did amazing things, didn't they? The Apollo missions and landing on the moon. That was fueled by them seeing Russia and their Sputnik program, thinking, oh, we could have a bit of that. Hello, we won't let the Ruskies beat us? But also it was fueled by their world fairs, where they had scientists and innovators and inventors come together, and the public came to see what they were building massive great expos. and it fueled a vision, and they started dreaming dreams. And then the budget came in, and they managed to, managed to feed it, feed the program, and they did amazing things. Even the non-scientists and the non-experts, the non-academics got swept up with this vision. and America were like, oh, "We can do this." And they put the man on the moon. Incredible, but it's waned over the years. They still do great stuff, the International Space Station and things like that, you know, joint global projects and things like that. Sending satellites into space, but there's never really been anything that's beaten putting a man on the moon. And the budget has dwindled over the years, and it's just waned a bit. And at the end of this video, this guy, he hits the nail on the head. He said, "Do you know what happened? We stopped dreaming. We stopped dreaming, and that's what happened." We need to be so careful that we don't belittle our God who is more than capable, to him who is able, in our prayers. He delivers over and above, quite often, more than we ask for anyway. Someone here, I won't mention their name, I'm sure you'll know who, work out who I'm talking about. They were talking to him just the other week about this. They said, you know what, I phoned the church asking for some furniture. And God gave me a family. He delivered over and above what she asked for. Ruth, didn't know I was going to talk about this, Ruth Barnard. She spent a year and a half on the bus to and from work. I thought, I'm going to start praying and asking for a car. And within a week, she was driving to work. Sometimes he delivers over and above just to prove himself, just to remind us. And Roger and George Eaton at City Church. When they were planning to get married, they were both volunteers for the church. They weren't earning anything. They had little or no money. And Georgia was like, "I want to get married and want a nice wedding." So she just started, she literally just started praying for some money, and they got a thousand pound out of the blue gift for a wedding dress. Just God delivers over and above sometimes. That doesn't mean every every time we pray we should expect something even bigger. I'll pray for a tenner because then I might get hundred. <laughs> what I mean is, don't belittle our God. Don't belittle him. So it goes, it goes further than this, obviously. I'm not just talking about material goods. Those are just a couple of examples. But in Iran, a closed country, and we can belittle our prayers for countries like Iran. So closed. Oh, it's a hard place. We can do it with France at the moment. It mustn't. France is breaking open. Over the years, well, France is, a, France is a tough nut. Worry about that one later. Stuff is happening in France now in Iran, only 40 years ago they worked out there was only about 200 Muslim background Christians in that country, 200 massive nation, 200 now the figures are approaching half a million dream big dreams for other countries pray for them, he's a great big God who's bigger than that (coughs) death (coughs) one person God gave him a dream You started pushing the door, pushing the door, now look at what it's become. And they're over here spreading the seed. Dream big dreams. And in the day and age in our country, when the bath healing on the streets had their advertising banned because it said God can heal, and they were told, you cannot put that up, when we know it's true. That was banned. They weren't allowed to, to put that on their advertising. When our country is like that, we can go... What's the point? We'll just get our heads down, we'll keep quiet, do our own thing in our little corner and maybe go to work one day. In the same country, in the same day and age, last Saturday, Fabrice Mwamba collapsed on a football pitch, resuscitated for two hours, is now slowly recovering in ITU, thank God. Within days, there were football teams on the TV wearing Pray for Mwamba t-shirts. And on Monday, the Sun newspaper, do you know what the headline was? God is in control. (laughs) Where does that come from? There was a shift. Never let go of how big our God is and what he can do in our nation and what he can do in our town and what he can do amongst us. Dream big dreams. Dream big dreams. This is not positive thinking. This is a great big God. Our dad, Papa Daddy, who wants the best for us, who's got great plans and we should not think any (laughs) less of him. See, even better than the Americans, their space program running with the we can do this attitude. (coughs) We need to be fueled by the vision that he is doing this. Big difference. It's our Father God. (coughs) To know this amazing love and security, there is only one way and that's through Jesus' son. Just as I end. If you don't know him, you're missing out. He gave his life for you. That you will never have to be alone, that you will never have to be (coughs) destined to be separated from all things that are good in eternity. Separated by your sin, by your selfishness, your imperfections, we're all human. And that needs to be dealt with. (coughs) And he did. Jesus took that on himself. He took that punishment so you don't have to. It's simple and it's profound. And If you want to know more, please come and find me, David or John after. We'd love to talk this through with you. Don't miss out. There is a great big family available for you to be adopted into and all these great resources available. We end up with millionaire kids with trust funds. You just don't realise what we get in him. It's more than just becoming a Christian, living a life of rules and feeling like a good person. That's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible says. Christianity is God's gathering himself, a great big family, set apart, set on high, heirs to his inheritance, to be his forever. It's all about family. The son, the son sought us out and he paid what was necessary, the adoption fee, if you like, to bring us into the family with his life. And the Spirit seals our adoption papers <coughs> forever. We get a new identity, and so we get the best Papa ever. Immeasurably loved. When you don't feel loved, know what the truth is. Don't listen to how you feel. Feelings are never that precise, are they? Listen to what He says through here and what He thinks of you. Read these verses again. Pray that four punch combo prayer. Get it in deep. And realise how loved you are through Christ. Getting grounded deeper and deeper in this truth means we get to see his immeasurable abilities increasingly at work through us and in this world. Dream big dreams. Why? Because he's already done it. And he's made it possible. (coughs) Let me just pray. Father, creator of the universe, and we can call you that. (coughs) Father, we just say thank you. Our little brains can't always comprehend what it is you've done for us. (coughs) But I thank you, you've written it down, that we can read it over and over and over again and let it swirl around our hearts and get it deeper and deeper into us to realise where we stand in you, through your son's work on the cross, dying once and for all, raising again to life, that he doesn't have to die again, or stay dead, it's dealt with. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, remind us that we are your children. Remind us that you have more children out there yet to gather into your family, to share this wonderful news with, Lord, teach us, provoke us, challenge us and remind us of the ultimate security we have in you, the ultimate love we have in you, the (coughs) ultimate hope for the now and for the future in you because you're a great big God. We love you so much. and God, words fail me, but thank you, Lord, so much. In your name we pray. Amen. I just say I felt then that um, if you want us to help you pray into your dream as Steve said mm. just different words that came to me God knows you've got a dream and if you want us to help you pray into that dream, <coughs> we're here Brilliant. thank you everyone teas and coffees etc are served